I did what your brother couldn't. I broke you. And I beat you. It was Jono who told me about you. He's the prophet. He's the smart one. He knew what was there and he found me to take it out of the ground. And you know what the funny thing is? Listen, listen, listen. I paid him $10,000, cash in hand, just like that. He has his own company now, a prosperous little business. Three wells producing $5,000 a week. Stop crying, you sniveling ass. Stop your nonsense. You're just the afterbirth, Nick. No, no. You slithered out of your mother's filth. They should have put you in a glass jar on a mantelpiece. Where were you when Jono was suckling at your mother's teat? Where were you? Who was nursing you, poor Nick? That land has been had. Nothing you could do about it. It's gone. It's had. You lose. If you would just take... Drainage! Drainage, you boy, Nick. Drain dry. I'm so sorry. Here, here. If you have a milkshake, and I have a milkshake, and I have a straw, there it is. Are you look? Are you watching? There it is. You see, my straw. It reaches across the room, and it starts to drink your milkshake. I drink your milkshake. I drink it up. Don't bully me. Did you think your song and dance and your superstition would help you, Nick? I am the third revelation. I am who the Lord has chosen. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. You can't handle the truth. King Kong ain't got shit on me. I am the third revelation. I am so much crazier. I am the one who knocks. Go ahead. Make my day. Let's take me, boy. Let's bribe. Fuck you. Everybody on? Good. Great. Bad. Wonderful. And welcome to, uh, to Facing Off. Um, buckle up. Hold your boys tight. Do not abandon them. <laughs> oh, um, and because cute. this is Facing Off, the podcast <clears throat> where we uh, rate, review, uh, and compare and contrast uh, two movies with some sort of common thread. I am Nick. That Hi, is Gabe. I'm Gabe. <laughs> I have to get the Daniel Plainview out of me. Exercise the demon. <laughs> it's gone. And we are here with uh, our good buddy Chris. Chris, why don't you? I'll let you introduce yourself. Yeah. Hi, I Chris. Can't do you justice. What's up, everyone? Uh, well, I'm Chris. I'm from Movies That Molded Me podcast, and I am yeah. a big fan of your podcast. Listen to every episode, and That's mostly awesome. agree with you guys. Um, but yeah, I'm, except for about Willy uh, Wonka. Don't super excited start to be here. with Willy Wonka. No, I'm not going to bring don't. it up. <laughs> Since you're the third revelation and all, I'm going to just be quiet over here about that. <laughs> yeah, we uh, we I, we've encouraged our. Uh, listeners to listen to movies that mold me but we got to encourage you again because they're really fun and if you like our podcast it's very similar they turn uh their podcast into a little game and it gets pretty competitive if you hear the one that nick and i were on um 
uh, I won't spoil who won, but <laughs> it came down to the last votes. But we absolutely I crushed won. them. So you did. Um, you kicked our asses. <laughs> Chris, thanks for uh, thanks for joining our podcast. That's uh, yeah. Really cool we are here. we are really happy to finally have you on. Hopefully, we can do more episodes with you uh, yeah. because you are uh, an awesome movie person, and it's really awesome. Uh, to me that you like our podcast so much. So thanks for being here. I appreciate that. Yeah. And I I love your podcast. Do I have any shout outs? I'm already cutting you off and this is just (laughs) going to be a bad episode now. Um, Yeah. No shout outs. No people you want to say, Hey, what's up? Uh, Onto a random podcast. Yeah, sure. You don't. Uh, just shout out the uh, fade to gray family over at the fade to gray network. Love those guys. (laughs) Omar. I uh, I never shout anybody. How you doing? Out. Are you high? <laughs> <laughs> I can guarantee I you he know. is. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Um, all right. Uh, do you have shout outs, Gabe? I don't have any okay. shout outs. Um, we'll get into the email section at the end of the podcast. That's going to be our fan mail section. So if you have any fan mail, send it in and we'll talk about it at the end of our podcast. Cool. Do you have any sweaty pits? Cause I do. <laughs> oh, I got <laughs> some sweaty pits. It is dude. warm in here. And if, yeah, we were they are not on, if we were not on zoom with Chris, I would have popped this shirt off already. Yeah. Oh, I don't mind. Good. I think he would. It, it is <laughs> muy sweaty in here. All right. <laughs> We are going to then, uh, I guess I'll do the synopses, because today's two movies are, we haven't mentioned that yet, but it's in the title of this, so just read the title of the podcast. Yeah, what did you just like (laughs) do like a Russian roulette of podcasts and then just click on a random name? And if you did, welcome to our podcast. We're so happy to have you. We are comparing uh, No Country for Old Men and There Will Be Blood. There isn't necessarily a thematic thread between these however i think there is kind of cool um we chose these because they are often compared to one another they ran (laughs) against each other for they're both nominated for best picture in 2007 seven right eight is it 2008 or seven go ahead they came out in 2007 so i'm sure it was in 2008 whenever you know one of the won the oscar Yeah. yeah They both came out in 2007. They are often compared and contrasted to one another. So we thought we would do just that today. As Gabe... Uh, 2008 looks, Academy looks Awards. Up but definitely yes, a right. fact we should have known before this. And 2007 <laughs> is like one of the best movie years. Oh, so it was great. It's awesome to be doing oh, the two... Um, arguably the two top movies from that year. Yeah. yeah. And they have a tonal similarity. They do so have a tonal similarity. Break down the synopses sort of. of these for okay. people that haven't seen it. All right. No Country for Old Men... It is the story of the suddenly entangled lives of Hunter Llewellyn Moss. That's a man's name. Yeah, it's a, it's a, a weird man's too. name. Yeah, uh, Psychopathic killer Anton, Anton Chigurh and Sheriff Ed Tom Bell, who is too old for this shit. <laughs> After Moss stumbles upon a drug deal turned massacre in the desert and finds a large sum of money, Chigurh being, begins a killing spree before tracking Moss as he travels away from his Texas home in an attempt to lure Anton away from loved ones and eventually lose Chigurh altogether. Unfortunately for Moss, uh, Anton Chigurh is a severely antisocial individual and his procedural (laughs) and uh, thorough attempts to hunt Moss down prove fatal after Moss narrowly escapes a standoff with Chigurh, recovers in Mexico, but fails to realize that the cartel is searching for the money and has also followed him and eventually kills him when he retreats back to Texas to rendezvous with his wife. Sheriff Bell, who again, I and I must emphasize, is too old for this shit, <laughs> attempts to misa, uh, meet up with Moss only to find Moss's dead body. 
Chigurh loses the money to the cartel, but he keeps his morbid word and kills Moss's wife before limping away from a severe car crash. Bell, in his final monologue of the movie, reveals again that he is much too old for this shit. <laughs> yeah, that's a great synopsis. Do you write those? Yeah, I do. Yeah, that's really good. Um, this one's my favorite synopsis I've written yet, though. This next one. Oh, I can't okay. wait. That, but just because you guys are tooting my own horn, I'll just just give myself a little toot as well. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there Will Be Blood is the story of Daniel Plainview, an ambitious man who stumbles upon some precious metal, and then some precious oil, and then some more oil, and then a baby, and then more oil, and then a church <laughs> in a town where the oil is... And then a foil in the form of the church's pastor, and then way more oil and way more money and way more greed that turns him into a boy abandoning, figurative milkshake drinking, pastor bashing <laughs> symbol of the morally corrosive nature of capitalism. That's um, that's incredible. That was great. <laughs> that's the movie. That's your best synopsis. You're, that's you're, the movie. <clears throat> I was like, well, how do I detail this? That was poetic. There's not a lot of detail in the movie. It's just one man becoming the worst man yeah i mean i think the through lines that i think maybe we'll get into in like originality when we talk about like ideas and stuff is just like they're both about the corruption of man and in the hunt for prosperity and greed and um the changing uh times or i mean you know obviously they're like at different parts of the last century but they both talk about how changing technology and changing ideas and changing forms of violence um, shape those around them, especially when you focus on two of like the worst types of man. They're also um, just two of the <clears throat> best 150 movies ever made and they yeah, were released easily. in the same year. Yeah. And they're made by, you know, like two or three technically of the best directors, writers um, mm. in the game, the most celebrated ones at least. Oh right yeah. Now. Definitely. Um, yeah. Any okay. other commonalities you can think of, Chris? So I actually think there's a lot more in common uh, with these movies than maybe you two do. Um, I, yeah, this is actually your suggestion. Yeah. Right? yeah. I, I really feel like they're, you know, although two different stories, they kind of tell the same story. And that is, like you mentioned already, the corruption and greed of man. But um, I also think that they tell the story of capitalism a little bit as well and, and what corruption can do in that system. Uh, and they're almost like a social commentary on capitalism in a way. Um, and that's not to say that, you know, capitalism is bad or whatever. It's just a, you know, you should be able to critique those things. And I think these movies do that in a really interesting, uh, and raw way. Uh, if you look at yeah. the end, you know, both of these movies are pretty brutal, uh, but they're amazing, incredibly shot, uh, they're both neo westerns, which I think those you know types of movies uh, are some of my favorite types of movies. I actually prefer neo westerns to to old westerns, and I, it's probably my age, I agree. you know. But it, they're they're just so good. Um, but that's you know that's something I think we'll probably get into when we uh, start ranking these things. But uh, I'm really looking forward to this. These two movies are definitely up there on my list of you know favorite movies of all time, and so I, I can't wait to talk about them. All right, expertly said. Then uh, 
it's about that time we break these down. We are going to, we need to come up with like a name for our facing off system. So, hey, if you're a fan out there and you have a name for the way that we rate things, let us know uh, and we'll call it that. But for now, we'll just let you know that we um, break <laughs> these movies down based on five categories that we think are, are good at evaluating movies. And within each of those categories, we use a rating scale of one to seven, one being lowest, seven being highest, four being middlest average neutral or in between um let's so we're going to use our standard categories actoring spectacularity eye candy originality and legacy let's start with actoring because these are powerhouse performance movies oh Oh my god such a crazy academy award year in 2008 the people that were battling for the top choices although i just saw that if sweeney todd Johnny Depp was nominated, and <laughs> that just makes me so angry inside. But Did anyways, you not like Sweeney Todd? I, talk- I mean, it's fine. I just like I know you hate Johnny put Depp. Him on a level <laughs> of of uh, Daniel Day Lewis and like George Clooney and Michael Clayton, and we have a Sweeney uh, Todd episode on the pipeline. Maybe maybe you can get on that. Oh, I would oh, love yeah, that. That's yeah. gonna be- Get, we're gonna do Sweeney Todd with uh, little uh, Little Shop of Horrors. Oh, so that's gonna be hell really yeah! Fun. Wait a minute, yeah, Little Shop of Horrors it. from like back in the day, yeah, or the one from the eighties? Rick Moranis. Oh one. fuck yeah! Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> uh, oh, I guess so. That's the eighties one. Yeah. Um, and back to our current. All right, back to our current one. We're gonna do actoring first. <laughs> actoring is where we talk about uh, the performances, and uh, not only were the actors good in their roles and believable, but did the directors and writers give them the tools that they needed to perform at the best of their abilities? Let us start with "There Will Be Blood." Yeah. Because this is arguably like the most famous performance ever it's like up there with like marlon brando and on the waterfront the um um, the most accurate clinically accurate portrayal of a psychopath yeah (laughs) nick why don't you kick us off with uh actoring for according to the trivia on imdb um i mean that gets a seven yeah (laughs) the the only the only performance i will say i mean oh no Oh, Javier, shit. Javier Bardem's amazing. Josh Brolin is fantastic in this movie. Way under. Well, we're talking about There Will Be Blood. Oh, we're doing There Will Be Blood first? Oh, my gosh. So they were talking about No Country. First. No. Didn't I say There Will Be Blood? You did. Yeah. Oopsies. It's hot in here. It's hot. <laughs> it's really hot. Okay. So I take that back. There isn't a performance that's not great. Okay, good. There Will Be Blood. Yeah. <laughs> I got nervous I just, for a second. <laughs> no, I, I assume that... So Daniel Day-Lewis had... Between one and three years to prepare for this role. Some things I read said three, some said one. I assume that he was born already knowing which roles he was going to portray as an adult and just always prepared for them. I mean, that would explain why he only has been in like seven I also assume that for three years, all he did was eat overcooked beef with his bare hands and manipulate people. Um, Oh man, that beef looks so good. But (laughs) it looks, no, it does not look good. The beef he's eating is... You guys guys don't know beef like I do. It's like really thick beef jerky. It's gnarly. Dude, I'm so um, down for that. But I, I only wanted to say how many how much time he had and, and how ridiculously good his performance is to compare it with, with Paul Dano. Dano? Dano? Mm. Dano. Paul Dano. Dano. Who uh, had four days to prepare for this role. What? Yeah. They, they, hired, a, they hired a different actor. Yeah, he oh, was, that's right. He was only supposed the, to play The original Paul. actor is pretty good. Um, I should have looked Kit this up. Kit something. Yeah. Kit Harrington. Or other. 
Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. It was like kid owes something, and uh, that would be like the wrong tone for. Oh, so it would be weird. horrible. <laughs> yeah. He, uh, he only had four days. They replaced the other actor, um, Paul Thomas Anderson, replaced him with just four days until the shoot, and yeah. said, "Paul, I want you to. I w- uh, we're going to rewrite it m- uh, real minor. They're going to be identical twins. I want you to play Eli as well." And he was like, "Crap." <clears throat> and he, like his performance is amazing as Eli. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It's really it's good. It's ridiculously good. It's he a lot of shouting. <laughs> yeah. It's really he good. went into this just thinking, oh, I'm going to show up and, and say a few words uh, to... No, this is like a career-making it, performance yeah. room. 100%. He just thought he was going like, to play Paul. He was just in a lot of comedies beforehand. And he just... I remember seeing it and I was like, isn't that the guy from The Girl Next Door? <laughs> and... Uh, like little bit sunshine puts on a absolute powerhouse <laughs> performance well said nick uh what about you chris uh um, this is about this? 100 a seven uh daniel day lewis yeah. as daniel plainview yeah. is inspired uh every single scene you're captivated by the performance uh paul dano um you know i actually have a background in uh a religious cult kind of. And so to me, that takes on a very special meaning, um, you know, kind of seeing that from, from the perspective of uh, PT Anderson, you know, like how he put the movie together and how he has uh, Paul Dano playing this preacher, uh, you know, from the third revelation church. And uh, Paul Dano just nails it, man. He kills it. I, I don't know if there's any other actor that you could have paired with Daniel Day Lewis in this to have pulled off such a, a great, I guess, dance that they're doing together in each scene. Like each scene that they're together, I just get so excited to see what's going to happen next. You know, of course, I've seen the movie a hundred times by now, um, but it's so good. And I, I had read uh, that the other actor, they had actually filmed for a couple of weeks. And it just wasn't working out. The other actor was too intimidated by Daniel Day Lewis, and um, and Paul Dano just stepped up to the plate and killed it. Um, oh, gotta love that. I don't think awesome. he would have been in movies like Prisoners or you know other movies after that. Oh, God, he's so had, good in Prisoners. Uh, he's so good if he hadn't had this role, you know, so I'm, I'm super stoked that he was able to do that uh, in, within four days time. I mean, that's just, that really, I, I felt like we were going to talk way more about Daniel day Lewis, but I think that's just the obvious. Whereas Paul Dano was a real surprise here. Yeah. Yeah. That's it's just like a master class. Yeah. I'm obviously going to give it a seven. I was going to joke with you guys. And give it like a five, <laughs> no, but I mean, I, I do want to talk a little bit about Daniel Day Lewis and it came from this Quentin Tarantino podcast where he talked about like how, how close he is to Paul Thomas Anderson and what his initial reaction was to seeing this movie. And he brought up this point that when Daniel Day Lewis uh, fall at the very beginning of the movie falls down into his mine shaft uh, and like breaks his um, leg. It th- he gets himself up and elbows his way into town, and that in itself is a movie. We've seen movies like that. Right. There could have been a full movie of him getting to town and all that, but in his performance. You can, you, without seeing all of that, you understand that this guy is so crazy, so determined that he made it into town. Yeah. And then when he's lying on the ground after he's already seen a doctor, he's watching them like count his money as, or his like silver, essentially, like kind of watching over them. And they're trying to like, you know, they might like try to right. scheme him and he just can't be schemed. He has that competitive nature. And I think you see that in every scene. And I just, 
want to also say, and I'm going to talk about this in No Country for Old Men, but like, what a fucking hilarious movie. Like, There Will Be Blood is a really funny movie oh, yeah. if you look at it the right way. Yeah. And now a lot of that comes out between the two of them. So I agree with you. The way that they parry off of each other is really great. Um, a lot of really cool, like small performances too. Um, I, this movie barely has any recognizable names and most people wouldn't even recognize the name Kieran Hines. Um, I think that's how you pronounce it. But uh, the guy who plays Mance Raider in Game of Thrones is really good. And I think Mm -hmm. the kid is a great actor and that kid never did anything again. He like almost wasn't in this movie. He was just like a, uh, like a child in the city. In a school, and they had to like convince him to be in it. The mom was like, only didn't know who Daniel Day Lewis was, and only watched Gangs of New York, and was like, I don't want my kid around that (laughs) shit. Especially because he is that character when he does the movie. (laughs) And they had to sit the mom down and be like, no, 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 and then show watch this other one, and it was a happier one. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to give it a seven. I mean, it's a powerhouse performance. He deserved it. I think out of all of uh, his performances that he's won or been nominated for, this is Daniel Day-Lewis's best. And Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so you were talking earlier about how he was motivated to elbow his way into you know the city to get a doctor. And it's like, what was the motivation for that? If he wasn't going to be making money off the silver, would he have had the motivation to have actually pulled himself all that oh, way exactly. right so it's, you get the greed in there yeah you, i mean you yeah. start out hard with that like that's how the movie starts it's like what is daniel uh plain view motivated by and it's 100 percent uh money absolutely yeah. yeah it's money and competition just yes the best. You're could, the best could, <laughs> could anyone else have played daniel plain view no, I mean, sure, but I don't think anyone would have gotten it the, to the level that he did. Johnny Depp. Um, I was thinking, like, I could see he. Uh, no, uh, I was thinking, like, I could see Jake Gyllenhaal as yeah. Paul Dano's character, but it'd be a different version of that character. I think he would kill it. Yeah. But Paul Dano brings this like high pitch, uh, fucking annoying edge to him. That's great. All right, let's talk about No Country for Old Men, uh, actoring. Um, I guess I'll get it started on that. Okay. This is this is easily a seven for me because, it, and it's funny. I had a conversation before we did this episode, and it was like, "Oh, you're talking about a movie with two powerhouse performances against one powerhouse performance with No Country for Old Men." And I I really disagree with that because yeah. I think there's a lot of nuance to the characters that people don't talk about, and it's Javier Bardem is obviously amazing. It's one of the most terrifying roles and also super funny. I have to reiterate again, he is very funny in it. (laughs) The haircut is great. Like him, the face that he gives to the guy when he does the whole, like what's the most you've ever lost on a coin toss. And then he's like, which it is. He's like, or else it would be a coin, which it is. And then he like lifts his eyebrows is so funny. And the way he fucks with Woody Harrelson later, there's a really cool Cinefix video that breaks down the brilliance of that scene and how when the phone rings and Carson, Woody Harrelson's character, jumps, he knows in his head, I've just won over. All I needed from this guy was his fear to show that I'm better than him. Uh And it's a sickening but great scene. But speaking of Woody Harrelson, I think like one of my favorite Woody Harrelson roles, and I had like kind of forgotten about that. Um and Josh Brolin is so great. He's hilarious as well. His conversations with his wife, who I'm blanking on the name, but she's really great in Boardwalk Empire. Mick. 
McDonald, McDonald's something McDonald. Kelly McDonald. Kelly McDonald. Mm-hmm. She is just an incredible Irish actress. Um, and uh, they're, they're both great. But I want to bring up, and I want to bring this up because Nick and I were really reacting to it when we watched these movies together. Um, Tommy Lee Jones is very, very good in this. And I don't think he's getting, getting enough, gotten enough credit for it. Because he was actually nominated that year for In the Valley of Ella, which is a great film, and he's great in it. But there's something about the way he tells stories that maybe it seems natural and not acting. But really, I think he's just like, he's, he's it, it's called good um, like script reading or, or, screen, or you know, screenplay reading. The way that he, or line reading, the way that he reads these lines brings so much character into it. Yeah. You can really understand that he is balancing the harsh uh, reality of his job. And by the end of this movie, he's the only person that changes. He's a completely changed man at the end. He's been broken. Um, and it's so great. He's the probably, you know, I guess the main character of that movie that's not bound by greed and, yeah. and you know, that lust for, for capital. And I think that he has the story arc. Like, the story arc is actually his. Because yeah, Josh yeah. Brolin's character... Oh, by the way, I give this movie a seven for actoring. Uh, Josh Brolin's character, um, which, by the way, who would have thought that Brand from the Goonies would grow up to, you know, pull know, off I such a great performance? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But he was so good. career-defining. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like, if, when, when I think of Josh Brolin now, I don't, I don't even think about the Goonies, really. I think of this movie. This is... Yeah. Definitely the movie. Or Thanos. Yeah. <laughs> right. This is yeah. definitely the movie that I think, like you just said, is career defining for him. It's so good. Um, and, you know, speaking of Javier Bardem, I've seen him in Great uh, pronunciation there. Well, I'm a, I actually, the funny thing is, is by trade, I'm a Spanish teacher. So I actually oh. watch all of his Spanish movies too. But he, um, he was in a movie called Mar Adentro, which is, an absolutely incredible movie. If you've never seen it, you have to. He plays a paraplegic um, who's fighting for assisted suicide. And watched uh, it in my Spanish class. There you go. Oh, nice. In high school. Yeah, yeah that's one it of the ones was, I haven't like, seen with him. You guys, shut up. This is a good movie. Right. Exactly. <laughs> it's all the idiots in my high school Spanish. Exactly. Class. So he's got chops for sure. Uh, like Javier Bardem is such a great actor, and he he can't be defined in any certain role. I mean, you can see him in, uh, eat, pray, love, you know, or is that the movie he's in? It, Vicky, Vicky Christina, Christina Barcelona. Barcelona that's it. Like really funny in it. Cause I mean, I think that's a Woody Allen movie, but yeah. yeah. So he, he can't be lumped into like, whereas Tommy Lee Jones, you know, some people would say, Oh, he's, he plays the same character over and over again. I actually disagree. I mean, he played two face in that Joel Schumacher Batman and he's was completely fun. Yeah. He yeah, was a lunatic, he's mad in it, you yeah. know? So, I mean, he's got so much range as well. And yeah, the actoring in this movie is just a seven. I mean, there's nothing else you can say about it unless you're Nick. I don't know. Let's see. No, I, I also gave it a seven. I was not 100% sold on Kelly McDonald's character. Ooh, same. We'll talk about me. that. Yeah. The final scene, though, is so good. It it's is. Like the, yeah. coin, the coin don't decide. Right. Like, it's only you. Yeah. And she, I love she that. She ends up line. being really great, but I don't I don't like 100%. And it's, it's because the two things that come to my mind when I see her are... Um, Boardwalk Empire and Brave. Bo- board, no, <laughs> Boardwalk and Brave. But no, it's just... Bear. Uh, <laughs> that's she's that's her yeah 
It's uh, it's actually famed Irish actress Kelly McDonald, dude. It's it's actually uh, Boardwalk Empire and uh, Holmes and Wa- Holmes and Watson. Oh God, let's not. And let's she not do is that. We did an atrocious episode. train wreck yeah. of uh, of a character in that movie, just like everyone else is. Yeah. So I was like, oh man, Kelly McDonald, really like her, but I don't know where this is going. Kelly, she ended up being great. Um, I couldn't add anything to what you guys said, um, but. I just think it's really interesting that Javier Bardem wasn't sure he could do this role when he when he got it. He just really wanted to be in a Coen Brothers movie. Oh, who wouldn't? And they were like, "No, you're you're great. You're going to be perfect. You're exactly what we want for and this." He and he was like, "Really?" So good. There's a lot of great quotes from him about like the lead up to being in this movie. Like they showed him the haircut, and he was like, "Well, I'm not gonna get laid for a year at least." And they were Still like, so <laughs> "Perfect." I, I actually I think you like the last point I want to bring up about this is is because in acting we also talk about how the writers and directors affect the acting, and obviously Paul Thomas Anderson does a great job. He's such a good director over his actors, and he re, he especially gets a lot out of Daniel Day Lewis. If you haven't seen Phantom Thread, I highly encourage love it. it but yeah it's a great movie um but the coen brothers are like so good at not only writing characters obviously they're taking characters from a book cormac mccarthy's novel but they're so good at cre- like if you look at all of their movies they've created more characters than like the marvel cinematic universe right <laughs> and they're all so unique but also funny and dark yeah. and and the way that they direct these actors in this is wonderful and it could have just been a bleak movie and what makes it such a rewatchable movie is how fucking funny all the yeah. acting is and everyone is, is, and is so like Josh Brolin's physicality in this movie is super so good, good. Yeah. and then what you were saying about I know Lobos <laughs> where'd you, you get that gun at the getting place at the getting place <laughs> <laughs> what you're saying about Tommy Lee Jones is keep running that mouth I'm gonna take you in the back and I'm gonna screw you <laughs> <laughs> big talk <laughs> sorry I just keep thinking like uh, with Tommy like Tommy Lee Jones if you like focus on him like I think where his line reading comes from is you know that they had, and I mean, this is based on a book and we get to that later, but like, you know that they had a story yeah. for Tommy Lee Jones' character for, for <laughs> Tom Ed. Yeah. Which is the fun. Yeah, that Sheriff Tom Ed. Tom Ed. <laughs> uh, you know that they had a, um, a story for him and they were like, they, they, you know that they worked on it and he had all of this to work from that you don't see because he's the technically the smallest of the three lead roles in this. Yeah. Um, but it, it comes through in the way that he speaks and like the, the sense that you get of like, Oh, this is who this guy is. Yeah. You know, built a real character. Yeah. But his hand movements, the way his eyes work, it's great. Um, both sevens, let's move on to our, uh, and so three sevens all around for, uh, for each movie. Uh, let's move on to eye candy next. Um, eye candy is where we talk about the visual elements of these movies. And I wanted to bring up eye candy next because this was also a huge battle because you get, well, let's start with no country for old men. Um, that is Roger Deakins, who is pretty widely considered the best, uh, living cinematographer, at least if not the best of all time. Um, and he was nominated for two movies in the same year, this and the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford, which is too long of a name, but a great <laughs> movie and, and above all, a visually spectacular movie. 
But um, let's start with No Country for Old Men, Chris. I just wanted to like preface that while we're going into this next. But For sure. Um, yeah. yeah. What do you think about No Country? I'm going to give No Country for Old Men, and I know this is going to be maybe a little controversial, but I'm going to give it a six. Um, yeah. Deacons is amazing. It is controversial. He's, <laughs> he's definitely like – like you said, the best of, you know, his generation, certainly the best out right now. The movie is a little dark for my taste. I mean, I like dark movies as in like, you know, tonally, but like sometimes I have to like turn up the brightness on my TV. I don't know if it's just my eyes or what, but the, no, we watched we it together on, on my TV and we had the same conversation. Yeah. Gabe was yeah. like, this is the only dark scene. And then like two scenes later, I was like, this scene's dark. Yeah, you just can't I mean, see very well sometimes. There are a lot of dark scenes. I would say there's a lot of contrasting light scenes, which both movies do really well. Right. Um, but that would be my only gripe about this movie and why I can't give it a seven. There you know, are just some scenes that are just too dark. And I feel bad about saying that. Otherwise, it's beautifully you shot. You should. I'm not kidding. No, that's a, no, that's a totally fair point. I mean, and it yeah, definitely I makes it harder thing. on rewatch. So. Yeah. 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 I had the same thought. I mean, Deacons is the best around and no one's going to ever keep him down. Um, I, you you certainly both are, but so I I gave it um, I gave it a seven. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I thought you were about to go with a six the way you worded that. No, you looked scared. No. I'm not gonna hurt you. No, it it, it is like it, it it's dark. Yeah. Um, I love the darkness of it. You you have a lot to say. Go ahead. I'm oh, I'm sorry. Go. I didn't mean to. No, no, no you go those. first. Okay. Um. I I just Deacons has a way of making movies look better than reality and I don't fully get that because you know when you go to like the Grand Canyon or something or some like big national uh, natural wonder you always say a picture wouldn't do this service and even like the best photographer couldn't do it the same uh, the same kind of effect on your eyes as being there in person. And I think Roger Deakins is like one of the exceptions to that. And I think he is as a like director of photography is one of the best photographers around. And um, there are scenes, the vastness of the valleys and stuff, the way he shows that is incredible. It's so beautiful. The way that the camera moves is so smooth he and the Coen brothers decide to do kind of like what Jonathan Demi does in uh, Silence of the Lambs. They, a, a lot of times they don't like to shoot over someone's shoulder. Mm -hmm. So if someone's talking to another person, they'll put the camera in front of them. Yeah. Um, that's just a choice that the Coen brothers made. But um, the way that it works, you just get such a good glimpse of the characters. It's so crisp in its quality. And it, regardless of the TV or computer or like iPad you're watching on, you could tell that it's still comes out. And I think in a lot of the dark scenes, I think that they are still things that I keep in my memory for a while, even if it's tougher. I agree. It's way tougher to see than it is in theaters. Um, like particularly the scene when Tommy Lee Jones goes to the hotel room, that's been like right. a crime scene mm -hmm. and he walks in and you just get the sliver of light. That is Javier Bardem hiding there and him in the doorway, like an old Western, you know, because it's a Neo Western. Um, I just think a lot of those dark scenes really stand out and, um, they use this, like a, this narrow aspect ratio on the top, um, to, to allow it to be a wide movie. Um, and it really works in the, the setting and you just see how empty West Texas is and like how, um, how dry and like 
like this the fucking fear of a, a like a murdering lunatic going around there and no one able to stop it. Mm-hmm. I think it works Cause visually because it's, it's so easy to get lost. Like yeah. I, I just like I'm really deeply affected by movies that I can sense like there's like a purpose behind what is what is being shown to me, um, and that's the reason why even though there were scenes where I was like, are you sure you don't want me to turn my brightness up, Gabe, when we watch this? Um, <laughs> that's my fault. Like. <laughs> There's so much in it that has become iconic, like Javier Bardem's like hair that didn't get him laid for a year, <laughs> and uh, like the way that he dressed. Like I, this is actually the first time that I've seen this movie, which is crazy. Uh, Gabe, you like, fuck. Uh, I, thought, I thought it was There Will Be Blood for a few days, and I was like yelling at him. No, I love There There Will Be Blood has always been one of my like top ten favorite movies. But No Country for Old Men, I'd never seen. But I could have told you what Javier Bardem is wearing. Yeah. And what he looks like, I could have described him perfectly, even though I'd never seen the movie and only really seen, you know, like the clip with the coin flip in the, in the gas station. And that's like it. Um, I just, yeah, there's a lot of like purpose and meaning to the way that it's visually set up, even if there are, you know, uh, some flaws. That's why I, I still gave it a seven just for the, the, um, the iconic nature of everything you're seeing. I mean, if you don't mind me adding to that, there's like the the purposeness of each of the shots and the editing and where they are is really cool when it's not even vast um when they're honing in on an object or Javier Bardem's boots the whole meaning behind why he takes his boots off in the hotel room isn't that he's just sneaking up to that place it's that he doesn't get blood on his boots yeah and then you get the scene where cart he shoots carson and he he looks and the blood slowly flows and he just looks at it and then lifts up his boots and it's an amazing shot that sticks in my memory and then later you get at the end you know that he killed um uh, Carla, Jean. Carla Jean because he checks his boots when he goes outside and that is brilliant filming yeah. and editing um, and a focus on those shots so that's why I'm giving it a 7 for sure fair to give it a 6 why don't you talk about uh, There Will Be Blood Eye Candy can I just quickly say because I feel like I yeah, only no, talked negatively not. about No Country for Old Men there's one scene in particular <laughs> there's one scene in particular that really sticks out to me and since, you know, the first time I saw it, I it, it's one of the iconic, you know, opening scenes of the movie where Javier Bardem's character, Anton Chigurh, uh, takes his handcuffs, you know, in the jail and, and strangles the uh, the jailer. And Deacons is incredible because he does like an aerial shot and there's like the sole of, of Bardem's boots is just coming off everywhere because it's a big struggle. And then at the end, you just see like this dead, you know, police officer with all these, you know, black soul marks everywhere. And it's just incredibly stunning anyway. Yeah. Uh, great movie. And I feel bad cause I, it, it's so good, but the lighting no, I six, it. I think you're, me, you're, you're bringing up a good point. And that's, this is why I love movie theaters and I miss movie theaters so much. Yeah. yeah. It's been a minute like, since I've been particularly to one Particularly for movies like this. Yeah. yeah. Last movie I saw in theaters was birds of prey. <laughs> Was that any no, good? I it, was, didn't. it was that. It was that movie you and I saw. No, but I saw Birds of Prey after that. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, you made a mistake. We could have just had Corpus Christi. Um, yep. Anyways, yeah. Sorry to cut you off. No, no uh, worries. Started off with uh, There Will Be Blood, Eye Candy. So, this which one? Cinematography. Yeah, well, and it should have. Uh, this is one hundred percent of seven as well. <laughs> um, I believe this was shot in Marfa, Texas, which. Um, 
the the landscape out there is really dry, desert-like, you know, it, and it comes off as, you know, a vast, I guess, like back in the turn of the century of the, you know, 20th century, you've got basically you're in the middle of nowhere trying to create something out of nothing. And that's kind of like the feeling you get is that Daniel Plainview is making something out of nothing. I mean, he's taking the earth and he's turning it into capital gain. Right. So that's kind of like it, I, the, the, the cinematographer is Robert Elswit. And I, that's not yeah. a name like that you hear very often, but he did movies like Paul Thomas Anderson, right? All of his movies. Exactly. But he did movies like nightcrawler, which is one of my favorite movies. Um, oh, I that, love nightcrawler. dude, it's so great. Uh, and it looks so good, you know, but the, this movie he also just did the King of Staten Island, which is so random. Did he really? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I, I think he did a fantastic job on this movie. It's, it's beautiful. I think the lighting is really good. And most of the, most of the scenes are shot, out in the open air, you know, I mean, whenever they're just out uh, at the oil derrick and, and drilling and all that stuff. And it's just, it, it kind of reminds me of a movie that I saw recently called hostels. It was shot in Wyoming and it's just a beautifully shot movie. I don't remember who did it. Um, Yeah. That is a beautifully shot. Yeah. It's not the best movie. Yeah. But definitely beautifully shot. It's a good movie. Yeah. Yeah. I I really like movies that are shot mostly outside like that. I think that's really cool. There's, you know, hardly any inside scenes. And then, you know, when they are, they're really shot well as well. So it it gets a seven for me. Yeah. Nice. It gets a seven for me too. And I just want to piggyback off what you just said, that there's very few scenes inside. So I was doing some uh, perusing of the trivia section, IMDb, and then following up and, and reading more. So I guess that Paul Thomas Anderson... Like the outside shots were very purposeful. Um, he wa- you know he wanted certain things to work a certain way, but the shots that were like inside, he didn't really have an idea of where he wanted them to be necessarily. Yeah. So he filmed interactions that are inside in several different places and then picked the one that he thought ended up working the best. Interesting. I Which is like I such a cool Paul way Thomas to do that. So much. <laughs> yeah. And like. And I mean, like, reading about what the set was like, like, I mean, I don't think he would have made the movie without Daniel Day-Lewis, yeah. because I, I don't think anyone else could have done that. He but made like, it for him, essentially. Like, he just relied on that, like, sense of, like, this is what we're gonna, this is what we want. And then they just did it, and then together we're like, actually, you know what, it, it wasn't that one. It, it's actually this shot that worked out best. Um, I, I, there's, I mean, the Derek explosion scene is incredible. Uh, the way that injuries are filmed is just like so fucking grotesque. so graphic and like visceral, very real. Um, again, the way that the camera follows actors, I love the shot of um, oh, Bandy. I think is the the guy when when Daniel Plainview goes to the like Bandy ranch mm-hmm. and he's kind of looking for the the senior Bandy and he's not there. And so it goes through the house. It goes yeah. through the house as Daniel Plainview is walking outside the house. And you kind of see him in the, the window. Like, it's just, it's just perfect. Like, it's, it's brilliant. It's such a brilliantly put together movie. And then it's just like the icing on the cake that there's this, like, like the inside scenes. They just threw to the wind and we're like, we're going to try these three different things. See which one is the best. Yeah. Like it could, because it could have been anywhere because of the performances and the, and the way that the script worked. 
It's, it's really cool. So I, I also gave it a seven. I totally agree with both of you guys. Um, I gave it a seven and I just kind of want to bring back up like Roger Deakins is incredible and he was nominated for two Oscars that year for cinematography and lost to Robert Ellswit, which should really tell you something. Um, at the same time, it took Roger Deakins like uh, 14 nominations before he got his first win, uh, which is insane. And now he's had like back-to-back wins for himself, um, rightfully so, because I think Blade Runner 2049 is like absolutely incredibly filmed and same with 1917. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Robert Ellswit, I what there is a lot of difference in the way that they film these, and I think what Ellswit does really well, although I prefer Deacons in terms of um, how it looks aesthetically, Ellswit uses a lot of movement in this, and that's something that Deacons did later with like 1917 with the tracking dollies, but he the movement of the camera in this works to kind of put you in the sense of like a constantly moving story towards Daniel's or uh, Daniel Plainview's uh, prosperity. And you're right. I mean, the way that it follows characters is so smooth and so cool. And it's the emphasis is always on Daniel. It's, it's always where he is regardless of what's going on. I mean, the oil Derek uh, explosion is one of the like most brilliantly shot scenes I've ever seen. It, it reminds me a lot of uh, if you've seen Roma, uh, Alfonso Cuaron does this really, really cool shot with this uh, forest fire in it. And the camera is like, it shoots up there. Are, well, it's, one thing, there's a lot of editing in this movie. There are a ton of shots. There's this really cool video that breaks down how many shots there are. And, the explosion moves so fast. Once it starts happening and his son goes flying, the camera is, is, is doing a lot of different edits and then it gets to Daniel and it pans around and it's everyone running around, but it's showing his reaction to it. And he goes to save his son, but then he goes to watch his oil and then he's really not, you know, he knows his son is fucked, but he's like, we just hit gold. Like we are going to make so much money. And the shot when he's just sitting in the chair and he um, puts his arms out like he's like a air traffic controller and like they go flying in with the, uh, or they, they roll in the dynamite is so amazing and a lot of that is movement. And I think that um, Ellswit just, he moves the camera really well. And then the editing really works to show how beautiful his shots still look. You know, he's like, he's up there with the Deacons in terms of the way he makes it look. And I also think the score, um, which Paul Thomas Anderson is so good at making these like scores that really get under your skin. Um, as with Punch Drunk Love, what we were talking about with, I, like, which I thought was incredibly shot by Ellswit as well. Um, the score really like it perfectly works with the way the camera is moving. It fucks you up uh, in terms of your nerves because the camera is moving so much and the score is constantly changing. And in that Derek explosion scene, there's like drums and it's mm-hmm. like, bum, 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 and it's like going back and forth. Lots of syncopation, uh, the drums, it's confusing, yeah. you know? Yep. Yeah, it's yeah. great. And, and to talk about the score real quick, that's Johnny Greenwood from Radiohead. And it just so happens that I'm like, the biggest Radiohead fan ever. So 
this movie just wins all around. <laughs> uh, I love Radiohead. Me and Nick and I uh, went to a Coachella where they were one of the headliners, and it is the, to this day the, the best concert I've ever seen. Yeah, best performance. That's great. Best concert I've ever seen. Yeah. Uh, so we took a little while on those ones, but let's move into a category that will also probably take a while: um, spectacularity, mm. which is where we talk about the engagement level of the movie, whether you were engaged or you were distracted by runtime or pacing or things like that uh or whether you were locked in for the whole movie um since we're on there will be blood uh let's kick it off um uh i can go pretty quickly on this one this is the only place i think i might knock it um i really like personally there will be blood in terms of engagement i wouldn't say so i saw this originally as a double feature in theaters when these two came out and my mom wow. actually just reminded me that this was the year that I became so obsessed with movies. Cause I said that year, I was like, I'm going to see everything that I think is going to get nominated for best picture. Mm. And so we went and saw this, the three of us, and we saw there will be blood second. And that is pretty unfair to that movie when you're sitting back to back, um, because it's so long yes. and because it is, it, it's not easy. The first time you watch it, it's very, the score is irritating. The pacing yeah. is uh, meticulous and kind of slow, even though the movie is fast in story. Um, but we just, Nick and I did the same thing yeah. where we watched no country for old men and there will be blood back to back on Friday. And, um, I still loved it. And I, I still love the pacing personally. I just know that a two hour and 38 minute movie, um, is tough. It's not easy for anyone. And I think that, um, I wrote in my notes that uh, uh, there are a lot of scenes that are extended to be essentially like ad lib. There's a scene where he's really drunk in the restaurant when his son comes back and the standard oiled guys come in and he gets like mad at them. And it almost seems like I love that scene, but I could see someone watching it being like, why is this in here? It's kind of long and right. it doesn't, there's not really much happening. It's a lot of ad. Yeah, if you're not like so enthralled by his character, you might not like love all the parts of the yeah. movie. I gave it a six as well. Only be, to me, it's a seven, but I think that to the to general fair. consumer, it's probably not. And I sh kind of struggle with that with some of our ratings, but yeah. um, I think that to me, it, it, it would, it's a seven, even though I'm going to give it a six because the music and the character of Daniel Plainview grasped my attention even when the movie drags a bit and i honestly personally don't think it drags too much but i i understand that other people have different opinions and smaller bladders <laughs> urinate in the movie i think it's movie. gotten easier to watch when you can watch it at home although you could be a little more distracted and i think this is a movie you should pay attention to and not check yeah, your phone i watched so. it with my my good buddy dan the first time who was um uh, a filmmaker himself and and um both of What's us up, were, just, were yeah, hopefully he'll be on our podcast at some point, yeah. but he and I were just glued to it the whole time. Yeah. Just nerding out. In I mean, school. this is, a, this is a better movie to see in theaters uh, because of that. Uh, what about you, Chris? For sure. I 100% agree with what you guys are saying. Like I think to the, to the average consumer of movies, they would be like, Oh, this is too, you know, drawn out. It's a slow burn. I don't, you know, maybe I'm distracted by the time. Uh, personally, as a movie lover, I was enthralled the entire time. I like slow burn movies. 
Uh, so I would personally give this a seven. Um, but I can honestly like hearing you guys talk, I guess I should probably take into account that the average moviegoer would probably a not like the movie and B <laughs> would probably think it's way too long anyway. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong on that, but I, I did you show this to drop your, uh, we, we debate back and forth whether or not we should it, take into the account the opinions of others. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we're we only care about ourselves. Uh, no, no, no. I think it's really tough with certain categories about whether to be objective or subjective. And right. normally, I'm pretty subjective because I have very strong opinions about things. I do. No. Um, it's That's hard to convince people to watch this movie, yeah. um, or rewatch it. And I don't really like many movies that are over two hours and like fifteen minutes. I I just it's tough. Like Christopher Nolan can hook you for that long, but. Um, and Paul Thomas Anderson is one of those too, but I actually like, you know, some of the Tarantino movies that are longer, I, I like less. And, um, I think there is something to be said about like brevity or, uh, is brevity the right word there? No, yeah. that's not right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also think that it's interesting that it's so meticulous, but then later in the movie, it skips really quickly ahead. Yeah. And there's yeah. no, like, he's just he's like no longer out in the field. He's just rich. Right. Cause I know he strikes that deal and it just goes really, really quickly ahead. And I wonder, it's so interesting to purposely do stuff like that to see the deterioration of his character. But it's like, you spent so much time on this other stuff. Why, why is some of this journey cut out? Yeah. You know, I also thought about that too. It was definitely a quick cut. I mean, at one point he's telling someone, don't tell me how to raise my kid. And then in the next scene, his kid's coming to him telling him, you know, I'm going to take my wife and, (laughs) you know, it it does seem like a really weird cut to the end. You're right. Absolutely right. I'll stick with a six. I think that's probably accurate for spectacularity. Six is all around six, six, six. The number of the beast. Uh, (laughs) The beast. Uh, hail Satan. Um, all right. And then, uh, just kidding. I can't be shouting. I am the third revelation at the beginning and then saying hail Satan. Um, <laughs> that's true. I could, uh, let's talk about no country for old men. Uh, ease, for me, I think this is a seven. I thought this movie was longer than it was. It's only two hours. Uh, you know, maybe some of the narration is tough for some people to like grasp, uh, uh, and Cormac McCarthy is definitely, even though he's simplistic in his writing, he's like very high concept. Um, a lot of symbolism. I mean, it's just like, it starts with such a graphic death and I can understand how an average person maybe will be checked out of that because they're like, holy fuck, this is gruesome. But I mean, if we're talking about engagement, that's like the quickest way to engage you in a movie is mm-hmm. the way he kills the guy and then the, and then he pops up to a next guy like immediately afterwards and uses a weapon no one's ever seen in a movie um the cattle uh thing yeah and, um the air tank and then i just think like these interweaving characters it works so like i'm so invested in each of the characters even anton Chigurh, but especially uh, Llewellyn Moss and especially uh, Sheriff Ted Ed or uh, Tim Ed or Tim. Todd Ed Tom something Ed. Like, Tom Ed um, threw me off and I Ed just like a, la- a last point I don't Ed need to harp Tom, on it. Damn it 
Ed Tom. That's right. <laughs> Edward Thomas Bell. I, I just Edison Thomas I think Bell. the humor of this movie and the character dis- dialogue works really well in terms of keeping me engaged when it's not crazy. But there are sequences in this that are like so edge of your seat. Like the hotel battle between Llewellyn mm. and Anton Chigurh is just like a masterclass in movie making. And then just like dialogue scenes with Tommy Lee Jones and his deputy, uh, <laughs> Such a good uh, guy's last name is Dillahunt. I don't know his uh, full name, but um, the, the last thing I'll say, I, I mean, there's Garrett. no score. Garrett Dillahunt. Yeah. There, there is a score. It's like not in it. It's very minimally in it. It's only in like three or four scenes and it's, at, it's like towards the end, fairly right? faint. Yeah. Mostly toward the end. Yeah. And then, Oh, can I, actually, I want to say another thing in terms of, like spectacularity and keeping your engagement. The main character of this movie, like technically speaking, the main character that you believe is the main character dies. And there's like 20 minutes left in the movie. And I actually spoiled that for my friend Carter. Carter, if you're listening, (laughs) I again am sorry, but you should have seen this movie when it came out. Um, uh, Luckily I didn't do it to you. You did not spoil Um, it for me. But anyways, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just for me, it's a seven and I actually, the things that I knock against there will be blood. I don't think are present here, but I can be convinced otherwise. Yeah. And and the way, the way that they killed off Josh Brolin's character, Llewellyn is pretty crazy because normally you would see it and you would, Mm -hmm. you would be sure that he died. I think the first time I saw this, I wasn't even sure if he had died because all they do is you have to kind of pay attention to what shirt he's wearing because all they do is show him on the ground at the hotel you know, and and they don't really show his face. And it's to someone, the threat that wasn't even looming. Right. Like you just don't even think that the, the Mexican guys are going to kill him because you just Mm -hmm. don't know. It's, it's brilliant in terms of like, we're going to, if you think you understand where this movie is going, you don't. Yeah. It even ends on a very fucking dark, uh, Mm -hmm. note that you just don't know. You think the bad guy is going to die. He gets away. Yeah. Yeah. You got a phone sticking out, mister. <laughs> Look at that fucking bone. <laughs> that guy is, uh, has become a really good actor. Um, he was in Get Out. Yeah. He's the brother in Get what Out. What did you give it? Oh, uh, was he really? Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. I didn't realize that. He, yeah, he's really good in, uh, I don't like the movie, but he's really good in Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Did you guys both so. give it sevens? Yeah. yeah. What did you give it, Chris? Yeah, it's a seven. Seven. Interesting. I also gave it a seven, and I'm making a point because I think some people, again, don't like the ambiguous ending thing or like the ending that like doesn't like doesn't fall in line with your typical third act ending. You know what? Open your mind, people. Don't be (laughs) sheep. Uh, (laughs) I'm still glued to the scene, even after like Brolin's death was like. This is the first time I've seen it, so I was like, "Wait, what? Is he actually?" like dead it's just so crazy that you get invested in that character and then he's just gone yeah um, and he's so smart the whole time he's so clever about escaping things yeah you really think he's gonna pull it off and he yeah he gets um yeah the cartel gets him which is crazy um the movie loses a little steam but then that makes the ending like it just there's another build and then you think something crazy is gonna happen and then it doesn't that's and then you're like, wow, that's just like how stuff works. Like, yeah. he got lucky. Yeah. He got unlucky, and then he got lucky, but he's the least deserving person to get lucky, Anton. Chigurh. It's like shockingly real and not yeah. like a film in terms of that. Right. Also, yeah. I, I, like, I think you're right because the ending actually is not that. It's Tommy Lee Jones talking about his dream. 
and it brings and that's the thing that a lot of people didn't like i remember watching it and i loved the movie but i was like that's how you choose to end it that's a little strange it's just like a random dream and then it's when you rewatch it and you understand what he's saying in that dream that it just ties together the whole movie and it is like and it just is quiet and it goes into the credits and you're like fuck I think the Coen brothers might have been taking a page out of like a Quentin Tarantino movie because his movies are so heavy on dialogue. And a lot of people think, God, this is so boring. You know, I have to watch these people talk. And it's like, no, listen to the conversation. Like they're, yeah. it, it, w- what he's saying is very profound. And, you know, th- that is something that I really appreciated about it. The first time I saw it was it kind of reminded me of, you know, a Tarantino, uh, I guess, like dialogue scene where they spend, possibly 10 minutes having a conversation, which most movies don't do that, you know? And so I really, really appreciated this movie for that. And yeah, it's just so good. And, And one thing to note about Josh Brolin's character is that, you know, talk about like someone who's compromised morally about, about the whole idea of greed or consumerism, right? So he goes out, he stumbles upon this shit. He finds the money, goes home. He could get away with it. I know. But what happens? And he's like, God damn it. I got to go give him agua. I got to go give that guy water. You know, he's, yeah, he's I suffering. You, I ain't got no agua. <laughs> and if he hadn't yeah. done that, he would have probably gotten away with it. Right. Yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy. I, it, yeah. His, and you get a lot of his like war background with that. And it kind of keeps you interested in who this mystery character is that stumbles upon money. It's. I love how I'm actually going to talk about this in originality next, but um, we can move on to it. Yeah, yeah. Let's go on to originality. So that was uh, sevens all around. Mm-hmm. Sevens for, uh, spectacular. Sevens for no co- uh, no country and um, sixes for sixes. there will be blood. Um, yeah, I mean originality. I want to talk about um, originality is just where we talk about how creative the movie was and whether it stands out in its genre and whether it needed to be made if it's made uh, based off of source material or just in general. Um, before I reveal my score, I mean, I just think it's like, you're right. It's the writing of this movie is absolutely incredible for no country for old men. And that is, you could say to a certain extent, they're taking a page out of Quentin Tarantino's book, but you could kind of see in their earlier movies, like how much they loved. I think they're the two, I'm going to consider the Coen brothers, just one entity. When sure. We talk. Yeah. Um, Cause I don't know who does what in it. Um, <laughs> I know one of them is like better at editing. Um, but like one of them is married to Francis McDormand. That's true. Yeah. Ethan, I think I don't know. maybe it's Joel. Who fucking person. knows? <laughs> They're one entity. They're both They're married to her. <laughs> Ew. Um, <laughs> as one another. Oh, like the prestige. Like the prestige. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I mean, the way that they, what I was saying is in terms of writer directors, like the main ones, I think they're two of the best, you know, Tarantino and the Coen brothers. Um, uh, and, and then Paul Thomas Anderson is up there too. I'll talk about, um, but in terms of dialogue writing, especially, but I just think the story is so much more creative than the book. And I really, I love the book and I like the, the, the tale that, um, that they go on in the book. I, Cormac McCarthy is kind of tough to read, But, like, it's a great story. I just, it's the way that they bring in humor into this and the weird mysteries of the characters' backgrounds that you don't know anything is something brilliant that I don't think I've seen in many movies. And for a movie to win Best Picture like this that is seemingly about nothing 
as most of their movies are about. They're literally like, let's stick you in a random specific place, like geographically and time, and just no explanation of why it's at that time or in that place. Yeah, they're, they're just amazing, like, story... Tellers, yeah. Tellers, yeah. Yeah, story and... presenters. And that's why, like, normally I knock a movie when it's based off of a book, but I don't really want to knock No Country for Old Men because I think it is so unique. I think it is it has built off of Westerns and other neo-Westerns, as you said, and I think that it feels a lot in dialogue like a Tarantino movie or even earlier um, uh, Coen Brothers movies, but it just stands out in a way that I don't think many movies do, and... You know, regardless of whether someone thinks this is their best movie, you know, I, I have certain movies that they've made that I absolutely love that some people hate, like Inside Lewin Davis and... Oh, it's a great movie. And A Serious Man. I just like, I fucking love those movies so much. Yeah. That's, and Burn After Reading. Like, there, there's, the, there's the two different Coen brothers. There's, they're all going to be funny to a certain degree, but one is very serious um, and violent, and one is like the... Uh, an absolute weird, bizarre comedy. And um, this one just sticks out, out of all dramas and like Oscar winners that I'm just, I, it, it's just too creative and yeah, it needed to be made. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Seven. Totally. I'm going to give well, it seven. So have you read the, the book, Chris? I have not read the book. So what you gave it's it a seven? It's been so long since I've read the book. Yeah. So what I I haven't read the book either, and I I gave it a five because Whoa. from what I read, like yes the movie should be made yes the storytelling of the Coen Brothers is absolutely unique to how they do things and is incredible one of my like you know favorite direct directors to watch yeah. is them are them yeah. The grammar gets is weird our, if yeah. you start to refer to them as the same right. person. Um, one, uh, the one is the the defining term. There, there can so only be is. one. Yeah. Um, are they a Highlander? Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm talking <laughs> about the sentence you oh, just I, said. <laughs> so, how much does the book's plot mirror the plot of the movie? I read that I they were like pretty, pretty faithful. Similar. Yeah. 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 It I is read faithful the, in structure. The, the action, the plot of the movie, is pretty spot on the and the same. and the narration is like f- from the book okay the and that's why it sounds literary when he's speaking in okay that way. so then that's why i'm going to give it an above average score but not a six or a seven yeah i think for me it's it's what they added from what i understand is they changed the dialogue they also they, they actually pared the dialogue down yeah which is unusual for them but it's um, it's the it's at, like it's it's more humorous i didn't find yeah, the book humorous sure. Definitely. That's why I'm going to give it an above average score. I don't yeah. think it's like, you know, I just think like if this was a movie um, and I loved it, like I do this movie now that I've seen it and I learned that it's from a book and it's not a movie that is this caliber and I, and I learned that the, it's the same plot as in the book, I'm not going to give it that six or seven. That's how I've yeah. done things on this That's fair. this podcast. You should read it. I, I literally okay. wrote, I need to read that. It's pretty quick. Yeah. <laughs> What about you, Chris? I actually, I could be tempted to bring go down one. Yeah, I, I actually am going to go with Nick on this one. I feel the same way. I, I do want to read this book, though, because I haven't read it. And I feel almost a little unfair giving it a score based on the fact that I haven't read it. But I, I would say five is probably where I would go uh, for, for the exact same reasons that you already said. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's it's a tough call, but that's kind of what I, I feel like I had to do with this one. But I wrote literally, I need to read this ASAP. I'm going to give it a six. Uh, I'm going to move it. I do think that it is incredibly unique in terms of like other movies that I've seen. I do agree that the story is big, but I don't care as much about the story of No Country for Old Men. And it's one of those things. And this is why I love Coen Brothers movies is the plot doesn't really matter as much. Um, but I do, I do agree. Like, you know, the characters, they are mysterious in their ways because of their book from what I remember. So that is correct. I think it's the added humor and the visual humor and the visual quality of the movie that really like makes it original. Like that they took this kind of dry book and turned it into this masterpiece of a film. That's kind of like, like when I think yeah. about it, it's like, what did you add to the book? Not necessarily like, what did you like add to the book in terms of writing? Like, did you add more chapters to a book that already exists? It's more like, wh- how do you visually see this book and how unique can you make that? I still think, I agree. I think I, I, I could shy away from a perfect score for that because it's not like, it's not like Get Out or Parasite where it's like or an original screenplay yeah. that is like, who else can make something like this? Um, okay, what about uh, There Will Be Blood originality, Chris? I am going to give There Will Be Blood a six because it is based on a book, uh, Oil. By and yeah, but it's like Talk very loosely. Writing, dude, yeah. <laughs> the jungle fucking sucks. I mean, it's disturbing, but it sucks. <laughs> Jeez, dude. Yeah. So I haven't read that book either, but from what I understand, uh, reading about, you know, the I guess like how the, the movie was adapted from it is that it's like super loosely based on it. Yeah, um, extremely. Yeah. And, and so I think that what P.T. Anderson has done here is, you know, created a pretty original story. Um out of, I guess, like uh, this turn of the century uh, oil tycoon, you know, and so I think that it's it's definitely original that way. So yeah, I'm going to give it a six. Yeah, I'm going to do the same thing you just did with me. I gave it a six as well, and uh, for all the reasons you just said, I just think it's really cool that this is essentially a period piece. Yeah, yeah. Um, and does it add to the genre of period pieces? Yeah, because they mostly aren't like super highly engaging and i can't two. think of one like like if someone had made like an industrial revolution thing that would be kind of cool yeah from reading about what the what what paul thomas anderson took from the book oil is he liked the i like he liked the period and the idea and thought that there was a story to tell there yeah and then wrote a character and then found a man who was born to play characters and was like you must play the character <laughs> yeah. And he was like, I, I already am. And then he just ate uh, overcooked beef for three years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to give it actually lower than No Country for Old Men. But I do, I do think it's a good point to really bring up like how loosely based this is and how if I'm going to talk about people like Tarantino and the Coen brothers, I should talk about Paul Thomas Anderson the same way in terms of um, the scripts that he writes. Um, it's really unfair when a book is, or when a movie is so loosely based off of a book as this is that it still has to go in that adapted screenplay category. Right. And if you put in more work, uh, to make it into your own thing, I want to give, I'm giving it a six because I think 
this movie deserves more credit in other areas like directing and performances and filming and things like that. Whereas I don't think the ideas in it are extremely unique. I don't think it really like goes above a lot of movies. There is a lot of boring period piece aspects to it. Um, I do think that the central motivation or the central like movement trajectory of the characters of Daniel and Eli is so interesting. And a lot of that comes into how creative Paul Thomas Anderson is in terms of like framing the characters and their conversations with each other. There are shots where a church is being built in the distance and Daniel's sitting next to his office and he takes out a telescope and looks over to watch over Eli's rise. And it's about these two characters who are rising, but and one thinks that he is chosen by God and the other one might have been chosen by God because he's so prosperous and he wins. Mm-hmm. And the other person collapses and it comes right at the beginning of the Great Depression, which is like a really interesting aspect of the um of the movie. So I do, I do think like it's not real. it's not adding that much to a lot of things I haven't seen before in writing and creative ideas, but I think that it nails it really well. And you're right. It does stand out in it's, um, sort of genre. So I'm going to give it a six as well. Yeah. All right. Last category. It's pretty unoriginal that both Paul D- Dano and, and Daniel Day Lewis play characters with their same name. Yeah. <laughs> It's also really unoriginal that uh, no, I'm not going to. Well, Paul Dano um, also plays Eli, which did, yep. did either of you the first time watching this like wonder if Eli and Paul were actually the same person? So I did, and there's this m- point that I pointed out to Nick, or there's this moment that I pointed out to Nick, so I don't have to use the same word in two different connotations. Um, <laughs> uh, um, two entendres. Um, uh, when he first meets Eli and Eli walks up, he's shocked and yeah. looks at him and is weird towards him. And I said to Nick, I was like, oh, I never realized in the scene that he can't tell Eli that he's met Paul. Right. But he's like, not only is he like, holy shit, this is his twin, which Paul never mentioned. I don't think he just said my brother, Eli. Right. Um, it, it not only is it his identical twin, but he he's like skeptical of whether that's his his actual twin or not but right. then you get to the end of it where he's like no your brother paul actually has a really lucrative business right um and and in the performances like paul is so humble and smart yeah and they're way Eli different is so he's a piece of shit all right let's go to our last category um legacy which is what is the lasting legacy of these movies how were they talked about how will they be talked about um What's uh, what's their impression on the history of movies? Uh, I like almost can do these as a combined category for myself. I mean, we're on There Will Be Blood. It's a seven for me, and I think yeah. a lot of that is Daniel uh, Daniel D. Lewis's performance is just always going to exist in history. It's arguably the most famous performance. I care about it way more than My Left Foot and Lincoln. <laughs> um, yeah, especially but, uh, Lincoln. Yeah, especially Lincoln. And it's just like, this is the movie. This is one of those movies. You know, some people will go to the AFI's top 100, which is like outdated at this point. And like, but this is one of those movies that you'd be like, oh, you want to understand film history and the evolution of film and the greatness of film? There will be blood in No Country for Old Men. Go to those two movies. And yeah. they battled it out that year. 
um, there will be blood wasn't as successful uh, at the Academy Awards. I don't even know what the box office wise, but I don't think it was as ex- successful. Maybe you could look that up, Chris. Um, sure. But I know that No Country for Old Men beat it in Best Picture. No Country for Old Men beat it in directing, and yeah. it uh, beat it in adapted screenplay. Uh, and um, it. Paul Dano wasn't nominated fucking somehow, but uh, yeah, Javier Bardem, he wouldn't have a chance against Javier Bardem. No. Even though Paul Dano is great, it's a different type of performance. Javier Bardem's is just, is classic. So right. I'm going to give it a seven. Um, I, I think it has obviously a, a, a great lasting legacy. I yeah. Mean, I, I also gave it a seven. I don't know if there's too much to add other than that it's one of my personal favorite movies ever. Um, I guess it'd be, I, we could be objective. Yeah. Because there, there were a lot of people who didn't respond well to it. I don't, I didn't like it that much when I first saw it. My parents didn't like it that much. I mean, my dad did, but is there a better performance than no. than Daniel Plainview, like ever? But I showed it to my yeah. mom, and she was like, "Weird," and that was her only reaction. <laughs> <laughs> Two hours and thirty eight minutes later, it's just weird. Yeah, what's for dinner? <laughs> Uh, oh, a point, uh, sorry, before uh, we switch it over to Chris, um, Tarantino also talked about, he's like, if there are movies that you need to rewatch to understand them better and to appreciate them more, There Will Be Blood is absolutely one that you need to rewatch. And I agree, because for me, it's like now it's, it's you know, just outside my like top 30 favorite movies of all time, but it, it's so close to being there. Um, but I respect it more than like, most of my top 20 i just that's preference wise so i yeah that's its legacy I, it is it just gets better over time yeah. yeah so i'll give this movie a six um i think that whoa that yeah the reason i'm gonna give it a six is because i don't think a lot of people like the general audience is gonna go and try to watch this it's like once it's out of the spotlight once you know people forget that daniel day lewis won an oscar for it like once that's out of the way people I guess like the general audience may not try to go and revisit this movie. So in that case, I would say the legacy gets docked a point. Uh, but yeah. for me personally, like this movie will live on as one of my top, you know, 10 movies, favorite movies of all time. And it was profitable, uh, it made 76.2 million of a 25 million budget. So, um, 25 million budget. Yeah. So beautiful. I had such crazy set designs. Can you imagine like, Oh man. Yeah. But, but this movie for me, the legacy is also about the story of, you know, Daniel Plainview, the competition that he has in him, which, you know, of course is a throwback to, like I was talking about, the, th- the theme of capitalism, you know, that whole like thing where he takes a baby just so he can actually gain profit from it, where he, you know, could care less that this dude dies. Do you fully believe that he well. doesn't like actually care about his kid? And okay. I think in the end, he's more just sad because he's become an alcoholic. Yeah. Piece of shit no, he like, is. Where did that money take him? And I think he does end up loving HW, but I think, you know, it part of that love comes from the fact that HW does get him these leases on this, on these lands. So part of his love for him comes from that. Uh, but I do think he generally does care for HW. Um, there are scenes where, you know, he's in the church and, and he's trying to get the bandy tracked. And so he's, you know, becoming a member of the third revelation. And, and there's a part where exactly like you actually for a minute there think, Oh, he's, he's actually feeling sorry for that. You know, he's actually like convicted about that. Um, 
but then of course he's like just give me the blood Eli so I can get out of here you know it's yeah. like <laughs> so but, but you know the whole like where, where his brother comes around Henry and he's telling him I have a competition in me and I just hate people and, and you know that really to me kind of mirrors like what we see now today in politics where all these big corporations are getting bailouts you know and like who decides these things and and it leaves regular people in need like daniel doesn't care about regular people he just wants more for himself like the more he money he can collect the more power and like riches he can get he's going to do whatever it takes um and then he's going to kill people who annoy him you know at the end and it's it's just it's such a I guess the legacy for the movie for me would be that like it mirrors kind of what we see. Um, and, and even with, and so I guess for legacy for this movie, like I said, I'll give a six, but for no country for old men, I'm also going to give uh legacy a six. Um, just because probably the, <laughs> about that one. probably the same reason, but like with Anton Chigurh, I think he also mirrors it. Like the whole like coin flip thing, you know, it, it's all about money and money taking the place of moral principles. Like, Shiger sees himself as someone whose job is to make like people see their blind greed. Right. And yeah. the coin toss is there to point out how money decides everyone's fate. Right. And it's like, he ends up there just like the oh, coin I does. About that. I, I can't believe really I never thought about that. you're on this episode, man. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was a way of telling us that it was in 1980. <laughs> just so he could say this coin has he traveled was, 22 years to be here where you stand that's yeah so true yeah it's a great wow. yeah so so that's why i think these movies are actually pretty like good mirrors of each other when it comes to money being the driving force of both these movies like it, it it's what motivates um uh, Brolin's character to to do what he's doing, even though he knows it's wrong. He morally knows it's wrong. You know, it drives all the people in that movie. And of course, we know with Daniel Plainview's character. And, and anyway, that's kind of, you know, the legacy that I think it holds. I'm going to give them both sixes. Interesting. Uh, I gave No Country a seven as well. I can't add anything to that beautiful uh, uh, series of, of words that Chris just uttered, so um, I'm just going to pass it on to you, Gabe. Yeah, I mean, because I enjoyed <laughs> And I, I also agree. want to... Yeah. Are you going to give it a seven? Yeah. Okay. I, I, I want to make sure that I do all the math in oh, yeah, real time you. rather than pausing. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I also agree that you said it in an eloquent way, but I also love to talk. Woo! And uh, so I just wanted to say that uh, No Country for Old Men, like, it's, it's a seven for me because of how incredibly successful it is and where it's going to land in the history of time. Even if for a lot of people there will be blood, they prefer. Um, I, I mean, for me, I, I uh, to be candid, I not even just in the breaking down of the score, which anyone that's like keeping track, they could tell that I gave it a slightly better score. Um, but like it, it is, it is a top 20 movie for me. Um, I enjoy it so much. I've seen it many, many, many times. Um, it gets better each time. It cost $25 million and it made over $171 million, which is crazy because I was wondering, like, which is the more, more commercially appealable movie? And I had, we had this discussion with our friend Kellen, and he was like, I think that, like, average people would like There Will Be Blood more, and I just don't... I disagree. I no, because... There will be blood is longer, and it's a period piece. Yeah, um, and it and it is slower and more meticulous. Whereas this one is is 
is violent. People fucking love Americans love violence. Um, <laughs> and no. it's two hours. And when you like some people are like, oh, I should go through and watch the movies that won Best Picture. Well, guess what? This won Best Picture. And it was a big deal when it won Best Picture. Oh, yeah. It won Best Director and it won Best Writing and Best Supporting Actor. Uh, it was nominated, I think, for like 10 Academy Awards. Um, it really solidified the Coen brothers as this like big mega force, like up there with Scorsese and, uh, like Spielberg and stuff. And so I, I totally agree with you that I could see to a certain extent why it could be brought down, um, for the average person, because regardless of how much it made and how successful it was, uh, with critics and audiences, there are people that don't want to watch this movie. My mom is one of those people. Uh, but I think everyone can appreciate it over time and it has just a crazy legacy. It's just, this is just one of those movies. Like I, like I feel like with uh, like a movie like the departed and this and 12 years a slave are just like those like movies from earlier in the decade or the decade before that are just really going to like live on. People are going to talk about as like, these are like classics. They're going to be, you know, like you're on the waterfront citizen Kane type movies. So that's why I'm going to give it that. Um, I'm sure you added it up. They are both 99 out of 105. Wow. Interesting. We got our first or second tie. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I gave, I, I wanted to give No Country for Old Men a perfect score. I knocked it on one, and then I only knocked There Will Be Blood on two different ones. But Interesting. Yeah, they I came mean, out to dead even. If I thought about it, I, I would say No Country for Old Men is like a perfect movie to me. Um, yeah. There will be blood nearly perfect. Accolades? Yeah, let's get into accolades. Let's give these awards out, guys. <laughs> some fake awards that don't matter outside so, the context like, of this who, podcast. Who won these movies Can overall? Yeah, I think it's capitalism. <laughs> yeah, I, I have to. It's got to be like a meta category. I, uh, I actually wrote sociopaths, so I agree. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, they both win. <laughs> Violence wins. Uh, I was going to think of like, there was something like specific. Like, even more specific, like an object or something. But right. Oil. Fucking no. coins. Uh, <laughs> silver. It traveled 22 years to get there. Okay. Um, yeah, that's an easy one. What about, like, who lost the movies? I, uh, I don't the, know. I put, I, I put the moral scale of the universe. Yeah. Yeah. Slightly. Both I mean, movies I think it's, like, more just, evil. like, trying to understand man and the cruelty of man. Yeah. It's, like. Tommy Lee Jones is really fucking broken. So in the, the MVP no is the Batman. MVP is capitalism, and the loser for you is man. That's what I put too. Yeah, well, <laughs> no, because like I, now that I'm thinking a, about it, like how Tommy Lee Jones reacts to what ha- what goes on in No Country for Old Men is similar than to what literally happens to Paul Dano's character, mm-hmm. who thought. Ooh, this guy's a sinful man. He doesn't give a shit about people. Even though I'm also a sinful, narcissistic person, I die from this. Not yeah. only do I lose all my money, I die from this. And so it's like trying to understand the and denounce uh, my religion and, in yeah, order to gain capital. Yep. yep. Mm-hmm. Fucking capitalism, well, this, baby. This podcast turned into a dark microphone. <laughs> this episode is <laughs> brought to you by capitalism. Go to ustreasury.com slash facing off pod and through promo code. Uh, uh, yeah, who are your about? all-stars? Your, your, oh, your let's, do, let's do uh, the no? round out the round out. Oh, I guess we can round out the team with comeback player and stuff. Um, yeah. All-stars. Daniel Day-Lewis. Yep. 
Javier uh, Bardem. Javier Bardem. Those are the top. And then Paul Dano, Tommy Lee Jones. I think I'm going to go Josh Brolin. That's the exact five I picked. Oh, man. I didn't even <laughs> talk about Steven Root in this. And I fucking love Steven Root so much. The guy who hires uh, um, Anton, or not Anton Shiger, but uh, Carson oh, to go yeah. hunt after Anton. Um, yeah. Yeah. I actually oh, got man, the same really five as you Woody all. Too. Right. I, I wanted to put Woody, but I mean, how can you, you know, with, with those performances, we have, we're in sync. I gave my, I gave uh, six man to Woody Harrelson. Yeah. The person who does the most with the least I'm trying to think. Cause like, I want to go with Woody as well. I gave it to, uh, to adult HW as well. Yeah. He's really, he's, that's a, like, really uh, going to Mexico with my too. wife. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, he is really good in uh, the show Fargo too. That actor. He is really good in Who Fargo. Is have you watched the show, Chris? I have not seen the TV show. No, oh, you you'd love it. It's it's really good. It is so good. Um, yeah. Okay, I'm gonna go Woody Harrelson too. What about you, Chris? Uh, so person who did the most of the least. <laughs> Please don't say it's Paul Dano as Paul. No. Oh, okay. My sixth man or woman uh, who did the most with the least. Was Carla Jean's mother from No Country for Old Men? Oh, she's so great. Have you seen? You've seen Donnie Darko, right? Oh hell yeah! Yeah. Sometimes so I doubt your commitment to Sparkle Motion. Yeah. <laughs> Fear <laughs> is hate. Dude, I love that. You know um, how many people I know in? Oh shit! Where where did they go? Oh, Del Rio? Yeah. That many. That many. (laughs) (laughs) So good. Uh, That is a great pick. Yeah, that is a really good pick. There was someone else. Like, I really like the guy in the shop with the... Oh, um, yeah. Have you... uh, What's the most you've ever lost on a coin toss? Which also I forgot to mention, the framing of that scene is incredible with the sort of nooses behind him. Yeah. The the danger all around. Um, And it sets up the... The coin toss scene yeah. at the end. What do I stand um, to win? Uh, what about comeback player? Like performance that grew on you the most over time? I would say for There Will Be Blood, it would be Paul Dano. Because at first I thought, this guy's a, a bit much. But then I realized that character is totally that way. And it's perfect. Um, and for No Country for Old Men, I would say Kelly McDonald. Because... She at first was really annoying to me, um, but I think like the scene that really made me kind of like, okay, I really like this actress is certainly the scene where she dies. Um, Yeah. yeah, So so I would say for those movies, that would be the comeback. But do I have to choose one? Yeah. Or no, just both. It's okay. I I put um, I put the same. I actually put. Paul Dano first, and then as we were talking earlier, I changed my mind to Carla Jean. Yeah, because you said that you didn't like her at first, and then at mm-hmm. the end you did, yeah. which is interesting. I, I really like her character the whole way through. Um, I think the character that really grew on me over time that I think about like like in my, my lifetime is the guy who plays sort of Daniel Plainview's like brother. Henry, uh, yeah. It's not his brother, but the guy who takes over for brother Henry, his brother. From another mother. Yeah, <laughs> Kevin J. O'Connor. Yeah, he's really good in this movie, yeah, and great. I, I, he's really good on the beach scene. Yeah, um, and then they also like Kieran Hines. I think is like a, he has a really understated role, and he's good. However, you pronounce his name, Syrian, Sierran. I don't know. Uh, anyways, um, do you have like a favorite scene? Uh, yeah, do you have a favorite scene? Um, 
if I had to choose a favorite scene, it would be where Daniel gets uh, baptized into the third revelation church for sure. Yeah. That's yeah. A really famous scene. Yeah. I go with, the, I didn't even like mention like legacy and spectacularity wise, but the ending of there will be blood is amazing. Yeah. I'm finished. Mm-hmm. And then it just, and then it just ends. Uh, so I like, I really love that scene. And then no country for old men. It's, Either the scene, the shootout in the hotel with Josh Brolin mm-hmm. and him, and that goes outside, but because of how thrilling it is, or when Anton Sugar blows up the car in front of the pharmacy, because like <laughs> that's another shot that I can't stop thinking about, and the way he walks because he's hurt, but that acting is so good and he's so calm and it's brilliant, and I've got to try that someday. It's uh, <laughs> you, you shouldn't do that. It's you can get like, whatever yeah, you want at the get pharmacy the free then. Pills, dude. It's, uh, I thinking about that. <laughs> you don't want free pills? Dude, Everyone pills. Pills are good. Ca- talking about pills capitalism, the prices of pharmaceuticals in this country oh, just too true. expensive. Oh, let's get into that conversation. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we got a lot of rat Martin holes. Screlly. You want to uh, join in on this? Yeah. What a dickhead. Actually, scene, Big Pharma uh, guy, the Purdue guy, just died yesterday, oh, so wow. fuck you. Oh, wow, we really went down a rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah. No, that scene with uh, in um, in the pharmacy is so... It's not reminiscent because Dark Knight came out after, mm. but the Dark Knight Joker blowing up the hospital scene yeah. is reminiscent yeah. of that scene, which it's is really like cool hitting because... Hitting yeah. Yeah, because Heath Ledger is the, like succeeded Javier Bardem as best supporting actor. Yeah. Oh yeah. The next year he nice. won that same. That's right. Award. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Nice. That was just really cool. Uh, my favorite scene is actually between Woody Harrelson and Javier Bardem's yeah. characters. That yeah. scene is fantastic. That is, I, pick... I got to show you the breakdown of that scene. Yeah. Cause it's, it's unbelievable how they're able to do that. So good. Do you have a least favorite scene? Is there a point to this? Is there a least favorite scene in these movies? I don't like it when Josh Brolin dies. I like how it happens, <laughs> but I personally don't like it. Yeah. I thought he at dies. first that he does cheat on his wife, but the, the woman is still by the pool. Yeah. Uh, it must have been very short. Which is really after. cool because, like, <laughs> it, they kind of keep the like morality of that character. They actually does love his wife and stuff. Like, yeah. um, it looks like what happened is he finished. Beer talking. leads to more beer. <laughs> he finished talking to her and then he walked back to his room and then he died and she died too. Right? Yeah. Oh yeah, she does die. Yeah. Well, because there's just bullets flying. Yeah. Um, I can't think of a least favorite scene, man. They're both great. Let's. Yeah. yeah. I would probably say uh, that the majority of audience uh, or, or, you know, general uh, movie watchers would probably hate the last scene and there will be blood just because it is absolutely insane. It's pretty it fucking is brutal, nuts. So, it's so, good. so great. All right. I hope so you we like got a tie rendition. 99 out of 105. Uh, Chris, it was it was super awesome having you. Yeah, do you oh, I appreciate it. Give any uh, yeah plug plugs your, and plug recommendations if you got some things that people haven't Pl- watched. Plug us. Yeah. What? Plug <laughs> us for sure. Uh, yeah, please go and check us out. Movies that molded me. We're actually part of the Fade to Gray Network, so you can find us there. Uh, we've got several other podcasts that we host over there and, um, it's just a, a big family of podcasters. So I think you'll find something that you'll like and, and you can just Google it. You'll probably find it. And, uh, dudes, thank you so much for letting me be on your show. I, I love this show. I think it's great. I hope that everyone, you know, who's listening will continue to, to listen to you guys and we'll go and rate and subscribe, uh, to your podcast, give you a five-star rating and review over at Apple podcast because it really does help. 
And yeah, uh, especially if you're in I, France, I because yeah. we sometimes pop onto the. We charts. were ranked for a long time in France. Uh, we went 28, 72, 38, <laughs> so and now weird. we're off of uh, uh, the film reviews. So France, we got some. We got two pretentious movies here. So I hope you're back on. Um, yeah, thanks for being on, man. We really appreciate it. I do yeah. encourage everyone to go check out movies that molded me this and awesome. the rest of the Fade to Gray podcast. You could also follow us Music. on social media. We are on Instagram, Instagram.com slash facing off pod. I got a bunch of like movie recs for you guys uh, while you're inside, and I'm actually gonna update it because things have changed. Uh, <laughs> you could also find us on Twitter, twitter.com slash facing off pod. And you can email us, and we want to start doing like a fan mail thing. So email us at facingoffpodcast at gmail.com. We got an email, uh, a, a listener email. I, w- I won't say from who, but uh, they said, uh, really love your show. It's really great. Um, and uh, it would be really cool if other people emailed your show. Uh, such as I am doing right now. And uh, I know this sounds like Gabe is just making this up as he goes, but he's not. Really email them, and they will read it on the show as he is doing right now. Love you I guys. keep meaning to do that. Sincerely. <laughs> you don't need to. But no, honestly, we want to get your emails. Uh, Nick, send off. We should have brought wings. Uh, Chris, send off. Uh, man, just go out and get that money. Holy fuck, look at that fucking bone. <laughs> <laughs>